Uh, God's word never returns to him void. It always accomplishes the purpose for which he sent it. And he has a word for you. He has something for you today. Whether you're in the balcony or you're here on the lower floor, God is going to speak to us. I just want to bow in a word of prayer. Father, I just thank you for your wonderful faithfulness. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the power of your word. And I pray this morning that our hearts would be just open to receive from you a morsel of truth, Lord, that will actually transform our lives in a brand new way. And I give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, bless your people today in a very special way. These are your people. And we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak to you this morning on a call for transformation. And uh, the scripture I want to focus on is a very familiar passage. Um, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I will be looking at many passages of scripture here this morning. I love the word of God. And my reason for going into uh, transformational church leadership training in Africa was uh, my confidence uh, in what God could do through the power of his word. And I'll tell you, over the years of that ministry, he never disappointed me. He did so much through the word, the power of his word as it was shared in the various centers. So let's just read those two verses. Therefore, I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Transformation. The dictionary definition of uh, this word, uh, one of the definitions is change, but it distinguishes between change that is a mere modification and one that is more extensive, which is defined as radical change or transformation. So when you think of transformation, I'm thinking in terms of radical transformation, not simply change. Most people think of, well, transformation is change. It's more than change. It's a radical change. And I'm, um, radical change or transformation in our spiritual life is not only accented in these verses that I read this morning, but even in the secular society, what is happening may well be described as significant change or transformation. The things that are happening, they're happening with rapidity, uh, so rapidly, 
And there are so many changes in our society. I think we're experiencing uh, a transformation in many spheres. But uh, spiritually, I would say it is a non-negotiable essential, and particularly if we want to grow ever more fruitful as members of our local church. By way of introduction, I'd like to say that we uh, focus on this issue of transformation in secular society. We live in a world, as I said, of, of many changes, many areas of everyday life. In Kenya, we had an environmental, uh, environmentalist, environmentalist <laughs> named Professor Wangari Mathai, who was a Nobel, won a Nobel Prize for her outstanding success in transforming the environment in Kenya. It was a positive change that she brought, an extensive one that helped preserve the wetlands as needed in drought-stricken areas. But believe it or not, she suffered persecution for what she did. She actually suffered physical harm. She disturbed the status quo and angered moneymakers and others who were busy uh, depleting the forest cover. Transformation is happening, and it often comes at great cost in the secular, and I want to suggest this morning, even in the spiritual, there's a cost sometimes in, our transform, uh, in transformation. I think you will agree with me that even transformation in society, in our society values, we see a paradigm shift in the way people think of the world, and particularly in the realm of social relationships, with so many broken relationships and deteriorating morality. Unfortunately, we seem to be getting used to the abnormal being accepted as the normal. I suppose we can be thankful for transformation in the treatment of so many diseases bringing hope to the hopeless. This is, this is really a transformation if you think of all the medical developments. But I want to ask the question this morning, what transformation do you seek or are you seeking? You may be among those seeking a transformation in your life situation. You may be aspiring to some higher educational, uh, some higher educational pursuit or a radically better paying job. <laughs> or transformation of even your place of residence. But may I ask, how many are seeking for spiritual change, even spiritual transformation? Perhaps the Lord would say to you today, a spiritual transformation is what you need most. It may need to be prioritized on your list today. In fact, God is calling us to do something more than mere change as the scripture we read. He's calling us all to either initial, I must say, or ongoing spiritual transformation. The Apostle Paul here I think I'm going to back up just a minute to give you an illustration. 
There was a lady that worked for me in Kenya who had many needs. And maybe some of you know this story. I've told it before. But I think it bears uh, a good example. She had many needs. She had physical needs. She had a, a sickness. She had many needs. And I knew she was born-again Christian, but uh, the Lord spoke to me. She has never been filled with the Holy Spirit. So I talked to her, and I said, you know, I know you have all these needs, but I said, the Lord tells me that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So you pray, and I pray. And, and then we'll see. We, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we prayed. And a couple of weeks' time, I, I came to where she was working, in my home, and I said to her, you go to church tonight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. She went to church, she was filled with the Spirit, and she was healed. And God undertook for her, there was a literal transformation in that lady in every respect, where she had been up and down and so forth. So the spiritual transformation many times take care of the other things that you need to be changed in your life. Uh, this, uh, the Apostle Paul here in Romans chapter uh, 12, he begins with an appeal. He says, by the mercies of God, he appeals to them on the basis of the mercies of God. You know, Apostle Paul was an educated man, and he did a lot of reasonable uh, arguments. He gave arguments for uh, many things. He was able to be a great defender of the faith and, of course, gave us many wonderful teachings from from God. He was inspired of God. And by the mercies of God, he calls on us to reflect on what God has done in chapters 1 to 11 and take action to do what? Present our bodies. This is a first step toward the transformation the Lord desires and requires of all of us. He is speaking to believers, so this is not just a message for those who have never known the Lord. It is one that is for all of us. A few of those uh, mercies of the Lord that are in chapters 1 to 11, I'll just mention a few of them. There's justification by faith, identification with Christ. Uh, now we are under grace, we're no longer under law. What a wonderful blessing from the Lord. The mercies of the Lord. The Spirit is indwelling. Huh. And that's another one. There is a divine election. There's coming glory, which is beyond comparison, and many others. So he's telling them now, reflect, reflect on what I have already uh, taught you and what you know of the mercies. See, they had experienced justification. They had ex had these experiences. They were born again. And um, so he's speaking to them now and telling them and appealing to them and saying, by the mercies of God. There's a, there's a you know, God is very reasonable. When we, uh, we're, we're getting saved, he says, you know, you, you think of uh, those words in Isaiah. It says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so we see this, we serve such a, a reasonable God. And so he's appealing to them on that basis. And, and he says that they are to uh, present their bodies a living sacrifice. 
a living sacrifice, of course, he's alluding to the Old Testament practice where they used to bring the Old Testament, the, uh, the animals, and they bring them to the temple, and they'd have those, uh, that sacrificial ritual uh, that they would do. But no, he said it's not like that for us now. It is to bring ourselves to the Lord. As one uh, commentator put it, we must bring ourselves in the body, not just the body, but our total self, all the powers of our being, we must bring to the Lord. I feel very strongly about this. Maybe we could look at this as the cost, a cost in a sense, but it's not really the cost because look at what, what Jesus has done. He gave himself on the cross of Christ, on the cross of Calvary for our sin to deliver us from Satan's power. So for us, he's now asking us, indeed he's asking these Christians who had experienced the justification by faith to present themselves, all the powers of their being, to him. Uh, believers must possess a single-minded passion to please God in love, devotion, praise, and holiness, and to offer their bodies for his service. When I hear that we lack people to serve in our pulpits, when I know that on the mission field we lack people who can go out and give up whatever they had here. I tell you, you don't give up anything anyway. I've been there, and I think my sister is here from the mission field. You don't give up a thing. You get so much more from the Lord. It is a privilege. And God is asking us to this morning in this church, in this assembly, for a new dimension of commitment to him, I believe present. I tried another message to build it up, but I couldn't get any traction. But I'm getting traction on this one. Hallelujah. And may the Lord help us. I might be fumbling around here a little bit, you know. I'm not quite as young as I used to be. But anyway, <laughs> I believe, I believe sincerely, yes, we are to pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send for our layers. But there ought to be young people in this church that are already feeling the call of God into full-time service. That's not in my notes, but I'm, I'm feeling it. <laughs> oh, I would love to see them. God needs people. God needs people <laughs> to commit their life, every bit of it, to him. I tell you, and he'll come by the way, and it says, uh, holy, and, holy and pleasing to God's sacrifice. Hallelujah. Yes, our lives must be separated from sin. We must separate ourselves. This means that we have to separate ourselves from the world, the flesh and the devil. And we can do it. Even young people can do it. Hallelujah. Older people can do it. And God doesn't have any age restrictions. I'm glad for that. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he is, he's calling us. God is pleased when we make it our high aim to live holy lives, and that, of course, requires separating ourselves from the world. 
and spending time with the Lord in prayer. Wow, spending time with the Lord in prayer. Spending time with the Lord in prayer. Spending time with the Lord in prayer. When have you last attended a prayer meeting here? I tell you, you're missing something. You know, I used to get up in the morning and go to the, we, we used to have morning prayer meetings in Nairobi. And I'd go at 6 o'clock in the morning, on 6 until 7 prayer meeting. And uh, somebody said, uh, you know, how can you do that? And I said, well, I can't do without it. I need petrol in my tank, you know. I need something more than petrol, too. <laughs> I need, yes, the petrol. I need the Holy Spirit, but I need his God. And let me tell you, when I would go to those prayer meetings, you know, it isn't an exercise in futility. It isn't a ritual. God speaks to us. He speaks to us sometimes through a fellow brother or sister. I remember once uh, when I was in Montreal going to prayer meeting there. And uh, I was praying for my mother so seriously and I was interceding, interceding. And after I'd done, I finished my prayer of intercession, my a sister came over to me. She said, you were praying for your mother? And I had been doing this over and over again. I'd been praying through. And you know what? Uh, she said... You're going to hear something. You're going to hear. You've got an answer tonight. Isn't that beautiful? In the place of prayer. And in Nairobi, God spoke to me about the work. I remember about Nakuru Pentecostal Church. Nakuru, Sitong Church in Nakuru. We were going to sell that property. And when I'm in in, 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 the, in the prayer meeting, God tells me, no, don't sell that property. I, mean, I wasn't the boss, but I went and told the boss that the Lord told me. He figured maybe there was something to it. So he talked to the pastor of Seton. And, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's wait. And then I, had the, uh, I was business administrator at the PAOC office in Nairobi at, the, at that time. And I remember... Uh, I, I was able to rent that property for two or three times what the normal rent we were even expecting to get. Was that God? And now there's a beautiful church there. And uh, I know I would pass through Nakuru and I'd feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Oh, there's people in this place. There's, you know, you feel, you know, I'm a bit of an evangelist at times. At times I'm a bit of an evangelist. And uh, I would feel that. I tell you that, and I can tell you so many, and I can't have time, I've got to get on with this message. <laughs> <laughs> but I get excited about prayer. I really do. Uh, and I pray that we will be motivated in a new way. Make a point. You might have to make a sacrifice, but it's not going to be a sacrifice, let me tell you. We have beautiful prayer meetings here on Wednesday. Well, he says, uh, holy and pleasing to God, sacrifice. Yes, it's a spiritual service, a spiritual act of, of spiritual worship. 
it's a spiritual service, and that is contrasted with a religious service, an outward religious service that Israel had in the Old Testament times. How privileged we are. We don't have ritual here in glad tidings. We have reality. Hallelujah. And God wants you to uh, get in the real thing. The real thing <laughs> is to present your body indeed. And we do that, I believe, in the place of prayer, in the place like this, in a worship service. And, of course, you present yourself. You can present yourself at home. But, I mean, I'm saying sometimes we make that special commitment. The problem on our part is it seems we surrender, but then we take our bodies back, come on, mm -hmm, to serve ourselves, our own needs and aspirations and interests. And God is looking for surrender, for, de for dedication and commitment to him. He comes again and again to tell us, too, that he is guiding and leading us in his plan for our lives. When we make that surrender. I was in Bible school. And I was supposed to um, go to a church when I graduated and be a Christian education director. Oh, Dr. Ratter thought that was just wonderful, though, way back in the day. <laughs> and I remember many years, I, I didn't go there because they didn't have enough money to pay me. I went to Montreal instead and served in a church there. And then, you know, uh, after a number of years, I came back and they sent me to itinerate in that church. I sat in the women's meeting and all of a sudden I'm sitting there and the Lord is saying, uh, "'Twas best for me to have my way." Uh, there's a, a, an old chorus. "'Twas best for me to have my way with you," or something like that. It goes like that. And it came in just, just like that in my mind. I said, oh yeah, I was supposed to yeah, I was supposed to come here to this church, but I didn't come. But it was better. You've done something. So I went away. I went somewhere else. And on the weekend, I came back again. And Sunday night, I had to speak again. When I went up to the door of that church and put my hand on the door, it was like thunder in my, in my mind and my soul. It was best for me to have my way with you. Why did the Lord do that? He did, it wasn't his will for me to go to Brantford, Ontario. It was my, his will for me to go, at that time, to Montreal. Friends, God doesn't make any mistakes when you present your body to him, when you present your life to him. He doesn't make any mistakes. And the beautiful thing, I said, oh, and the power of the Holy Spirit just welled up in me. I was so, I was almost dancing when they wanted me to share, and I was supposed to share with the young people in that service, and to tell them, you know, Jesus is a personal Savior. Hallelujah. And when he calls you to do whatever he wants you to do, and you give yourself to him, he will come back to you, and he will even affirm it to you so beautifully. It was so sweet. It was so uh, blessing, such a blessing. And I was able to speak with great confidence to, yes, you, 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 and you surrender your life to the Lord. And then we come to the great command, be not conformed. 
All of these stories I told you are not in my notes, but anyway. Or be not fashioned according to this world or age, which Paul calls evil. Here's the nature of the evil age, Galatians 1 and 4, that our Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of God, our, will of our God and Father. Believers before saved walk according to the course of this world or according to the evil of this world order, according to the prince of the power of the air. I'm just reminding you. There's a world order that we are in the midst of. This is called, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 7.31, it's called the fashion or scheme uh, of this world order, which is passing away. Don't forget it. You know, and, and we have this in Kenya. People, because they become educated, and they're getting wealthy, and so on, and you know, they're just like us in North America, where they want everything that they can get and, you know, and more. And it's a serious issue because we sometimes believe that these things are permanent, but they're passing away. Why should we not conform to this world order? Let me tell you, the big, one of the big reasons is because it is a world order without God. When I think of it, I think of the values of the world we may innocently or casually embrace, even as Christians. And the Lord is calling us to disengage from those worldly values. We have kingdom values that are clearly and plainly taught in the word of God. Take time, sit down, and consider your values and see whether or not you have bought into the fashion or scheme of this world order. Or to what extent have you bought into it? You know you have to get a diagnosis for your disease before treatment can begin. Even the admonition of the communion service is that we examine ourselves before we partake. And the, we need to have a self-examination to see where we are. What are our values? Have you ever, s if I would ask you to go home now and, and just write on a piece of paper, what are, what are my values? What are the things that I value in life? And you might find that some of the things you value are not biblical at all. They're very worldly. And I believe as Christians today, and living in the age in which we are living, where it's like the, the enemy is taken over in so many areas, we need to reassess our position. We are not to conform to the pattern, to the, to the values of this world. We must stand against the contemporary and popular forms of the spirit of this age. We must develop godly contempt for human wisdom and a secular worldview. It is easy to imbibe a secular worldview because it's hitting us every day on the news everywhere we go. The Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians 
chapter 1, verse 20 to 24. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the, wor the world, through its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased with the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now it's not the method, the preaching that is considered foolish by the world, but it's the message. They don't like the message about Jesus being crucified on a cross, and that, but that's the truth of the gospel. It's a core truth of the gospel. You know, we must understand what is wrong with this world because it excludes God. Do not love the world, says in First John. John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes from the Father. Comes not comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Jesus is a great example of one who loved righteousness and hated evil. There's a place where we can't be just ambivalent. We have to take a stand, is what I'm trying to say. Sometimes we can just be lulled to sleep, you know, and, and, and forget where we're supposed to be uh, doing, uh, but and but Jesus, he loved righteousness and hated evil, and you know when when we love righteousness and hate evil, the, it says it's connected with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You wonder why you have no anointing of the Holy Spirit upon you. Maybe you're loving, you're not loving righteous, you're not hating. What should I say? Uh, hating evil in the way God wants you to hate evil. Think about it. God knows our hearts. Jesus hated evil, and he gave his life on the cross to crush evil and to save his people from their sins. And in his ministry, he called out all forms of sin. He said to even to the religious leaders, he says, he, he told them what they were like. He said, a wicked and adulterous generation. So God calls us to action. To remedy our conformity with the worldliness is necessary. How, what are we, how are we going to do this? To have our minds transformed to God's way of thinking. Now we've come to the call, the real heart of the call, to transformation. Romans 2b. Be transformed. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Put another way, it means valuing things the way he values them, loving what he loves and hating what he hates. One of the object objectives of our transformational church leadership training program was to inculcate biblical values in the lives of our students. Why? Because we are guided so much by worldly values rather than biblical. 
Our plans and ambitions in life should be determined by eternal biblical truth and not by those temporary passing away values of this age. In uh, Kenya, we had a situation where many people would come into the church, but it's just like, you know, you add Jesus to whatever else you have. It doesn't make any change in your lifestyle. It doesn't really change you. So what to do? And um, so the Lord impressed me that the word of God would not return void, that we could, uh, we could change that by teaching the word of God. I noticed that people who imbibed in the word of God, people that were addicted to the word of God, people that were addicted to prayer, they were different. They didn't have all this mixture of belief systems. So I felt that, yes, indeed, the word of God is so powerful. It can make that difference. And we have seen it. We have seen it. I have had pastors come and sit at my desk and say, oh, my ministry has been changed. I have not been teaching the people the right thing. Even my own life has been changed as a result and it's just studying the word of God. We've had people saved. We've had people uh, filled with the Holy Spirit in our classes. I have about 150 teachers that were working with us there. Uh, and those classes, and, and oh, I was telling one other teacher, I said, this class they had uh, a pastor come and get saved and, you know, and somebody else not, uh, being filled with the Spirit. And I said, um, oh, she said, I, we had a couple of people in our, when we studied the book of Acts, we got filled, with, they got filled with the Holy Spirit. So many, uh, the power of God's word at work. And we need to be able to expose ourselves more to the study of God's word as well as the place of prayer. I want us to have a biblical understanding of the concept of transformation, transformed when it says be transformed. Most often people use the word change, as I mentioned, as a synonym for transformation. However, I want to point out this word in the original language of the text here has a unique meaning. One commentator put it this way, the word for transformed is remarkable. Our word metamorphosis is the same word, letter for letter. In Matthew 17, 2, it is used of Christ. He was transfigured, which Luke 9.29 explains, the fashion of his countenance was altered. Think about it. I get very excited when I come to this point uh, talking about this because what was happening? When Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, we see that the glory from within, in a sense, burst forth, was seen, for, so we could see his, almost see his deity, isn't it? There was a blazing forth, and I thought about it, you know, when we receive Jesus as our personal Savior, and even when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and how it's God's intention, he after all said we should be lights in this darkened world. And the more we have of Jesus, the more full we are of the Holy Spirit, that light shines. It literally shines through us. 
And we, when we don't even know it, I remember being with a lady, I was working for somebody when I was in Bible school this long time ago, but uh, I was working for this lady and she, they, were, they had, I don't let me d not go into all the detail, but say this, I was working in her house one day and suddenly she started crying and she said, oh, I said, Why, what's the problem? What's the problem? She said, well, I can't have the faith that you have. I said, of course you can. I began to share with her. I tried to, tried to get her to open her heart to the Lord and see that she could have this faith. Well, she didn't. But I kept going back. Every time I come on furlough, if I was there, I would go back and visit that lady. It took me 17 years, but one day this, I sat across the table after 17 years and I led her to the Lord. I tell you, I tell you. Our lives do impact others. I had a Kenyan friend. She taught uh, uh, stenography and all that stuff, business stuff. And one day she told me, she used to always invite me to speak to her young people. And <laughs> she's in Canada now, but anyway, She's told me one day, she's um, just in class, and this girl starts crying in the class. And again, she was ready to receive the Lord, so she led her to the Lord. I tell you, God is able to do marvelous and wonderful things. And I believe it's because when the glory of Jesus shines forth, I remember in this church many years ago, a young man getting up to come to the altar. He came to the altar. This was a, a, one of those Pentecostal services where it's upside down, you know. They had the altar call before the preaching. Anyway, <laughs> when he went back, I remember, I can still see the glow on his face. God makes a change in our countenance, even, when the glory of Jesus shines through when we are truly transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. But then, transformation is really a process, eh? Much like the butterfly, and you know that metamorphosis, the initial stage is when, when God mercifully uh, saved us through the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. It is the work of the Holy Spirit, but he only does it when we repent of our sins. We, have a, we used to have a teaching in Kenya about repentance. What is repentance? A simple, simple explanation. But I think it's very true. You feel sorry for sin. You confess your sin. You turn from your sin. Some of us are in the position we only accent to the truth of the gospel. People are hearing me today and you accent. You accept in your head what I have said, but you haven't accepted in your heart. You've assented only. There's so many people who sit in our churches, they're assenters, they're not acceptors, and they're not committers. You have to commit your entire life by the use of your willpower. You say, I, Lord, be merciful to me, a savior, uh, and save me. And uh, so uh, we... We are calling, God is calling us to a, a, a transformation whereby we uh, experience the Holy Spirit, we experience his transforming power 
within our lives. There's no substitute for that. I call this the initial transformation. Death, uh, it's, and I want to say this, it's why I say it's transformational, especially, we see it's from death to life, from darkness to light. We already sang that beautiful song this morning. Uh, and the Spirit himself witnesses within us that we are uh, born again. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And God's, I want to talk about God's shaping intention. What he intends is radical change. This is transformation. Uh, uh, this, this, this newborn, this being born again. The process continues. God plan, God's plan is not just to adopt us into his family, family, but to shape us into the image of his son. There's an ongoing tra uh, transformation, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all who with unveiled face contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Are you being transformed? Maybe you had that wonderful born-again experience where you pass from death unto life. From darkness to light. You know that you were born again. You know beyond shadow of doubt you were born again. But that's it. You sat down and there's not been any change. It's, there's no ongoing change. And God is calling us to this transformation as well. The ongoing. Uh, uh, I like this scripture here in Colossians 128 um, where he talks about us going on to maturity. And then how is it going to happen? Again, I mentioned the scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16. Uh, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Training in righteousness is such an essential part of sanctification when we expose ourselves seriously to the study of God's word. And as I've said already, the prayerful study of his word. Friends, uh, we are also going to, we are also anticipating the ultimate transformation. When Jesus descends from heaven, and our bodies are changed. Hallelujah. When the trumpet sounds and Jesus descends, we are going to experience a finish of that process of sanctification, that, that process of transformation. God wants us to be better tomorrow than we are today. And he's going, he has an ultimate uh, destiny for us. And uh, we want to be moving in that direction. Um, let the church be the church today, a community of believers who have been transformed, made new creatures in Christ Jesus. A community of believers who are being transformed to reflect the light of Jesus in a darkened world. When you l walk in the light, you will soon find others coming to the light around you as you are shaped into his image and become living 
epistles known and read of all men. The church needs more young men and women to fill the ranks of godly transformational leaders in local churches and on the mission field. It will never happen if we do not have people who are transformed and being transformed from glory to glory through training in the word empowered by the spirit. I want to leave you with the call of Jesus to transformation that we read about in the Gospels. To Nicodemus, he pressed him to experience inner spiritual transformation by saying, you must be born again. And I'm asking you today in this congregation, have you been born again? Have you experienced the transforming power of Jesus Christ? Your life has changed. All things have become new. To the woman at the well, he declared her need for transformed worship. From ritual to reality. Have you had that experience? How real is your worship experience with the Lord? When Pastor... Uh, Kristen calls us to worship. Do you enter in? We may not all jump around and bless the Lord like Bernice, bless her heart, but we have our ways, and we, ha we just have to enter in. Are, is your, are you really, really into it, with it? I'm challenging you today. To the woman caught in adultery, he demanded a transformed lifestyle, saying, Go and sin no more. Hallelujah. Friends, he's calling us to change transformed living. Hallelujah. He doesn't want us just to assent to the gospel. He wants us to accept it. He wants us to be transformed by it. He wants us to be being transformed so that when that day comes, we're going to be ultimately transformed. Hallelujah. 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 God does not intend that we live a defeated life but a victorious one. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. He's satisfi be satisfied with nothing less. Paul said, it is possible to live a life that is above reproach in the sight of God and others. Just don't accept your flopping around and falling down all the time. I don't like it. And I don't like when people have to keep coming for prayer. When I used to preach sometimes in our churches in Kenya, the whole congregation, the elders, the deacons, the women's leader, everybody come to get saved. I said, no. No, 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 no. And you know, that really sparked me, I think, too. Although there was a moment when God directed me to go into this leadership training. Friends, it's exciting to serve Jesus. It's exciting to his experience his transforming power. And he's not done with me yet. He's still transforming me. Hallelujah. And I want him. I know I'm not perfect. I'm like the rest of you. We're all imperfect. But we're on the way. Hallelujah. And my love for Jesus grows day by day. Isn't it sweet?
tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. Hallelujah. Commit your life to him that he may do something more than just say I'm saved and I'm ready to go to heaven. That's not enough. We got to do something. We got we got to know our, what what God wants us to do and move into it and let him take us by the hand and lead us to that. I doesn't he's not going to make us all a famous preacher like Pastor Paul or or any of these other people that we know that can preach so well. But uh he can make us a vibrant witness for him. And everywhere we go, we will have fruit for the kingdom. Hallelujah. They used to tell me when I went to the office in Nairobi, oh, you wouldn't like going to the office in Nairobi because now how are you going to go out and do evangelism, preach and preach and all this? You know, I got preaching. I got tracks on the thing. I led people to the Lord in the office. You know? <laughs> and then I had people come to me. I, I tell you. God opened doors. And uh, I just want to encourage you today. Get in, surrender to him in a fresh new way today. He's got something more. Don't be satisfied with the status quo. Let God transform your life afresh and anew. And it'll come through surrender, presenting your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to the Lord. It is your reasonable. It's a reasonable ser service. Hallelujah. God bless you. I love you all. Thank you.